is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're so mad, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Woo! Yeah! Ooh, yeah. I am the game. Costoco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, Waterrush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Are you ready? Everyone has a price. Yeah, I come here to fight. Sandy innovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell. Take you back to March 24th, 1991, on this edition of Beyond the Bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. Welcome back, old school fans. Sean Beckerman is back with you as we're continuing to travel on the road to WrestleMania, and this edition presents our WrestleMania retrospective series and the theme for this year surrounds the WrestleManias that took place in California. This edition, we return back to Los Angeles, the home of one-third of WrestleMania 2, to present WrestleMania 7 from the LA Sports Arena. Tonight, we cover the background, the event itself, and its place in history. Welcome fans, new and old, to WrestleMania Month on BTB. It's easy to look back at ideas and events with the benefit of hindsight. With business dropping off in the WWF in the early 90s due mostly to fading interest as well as public loss of favorability thanks to the steroid trial and allegations, Vince McMahon wasn't willing to rest on his laurels and accept a slide into pop culture obscurity. Instead, since he had originally booked the 100,000-seat Los Angeles Coliseum for WrestleMania 7, he needed to find a way to fill a venue that would surpass the record crowd in Pontiac, Michigan from four years prior. Logic seems to dictate that a rematch with WWF champion The Ultimate Warrior and the man he felled one year before to claim the championship, Hulk Hogan, would be the right course of action. 
there's a ready-made draw for the match as well. Hogan wins the 1991 Royal Rumble, challenges Warrior. Warrior says, I already beat you, so forget it. And Hogan puts his career on the line as collateral, making Warrior accept. Intriguing, right? Hogan's hypothetical swan song might have sold out the Coliseum. At least it had been a better chance than what McMahon actually did go with. With conflict in the Persian Gulf, the WWF made over long-term patriot Sergeant Slaughter into a disgusting, despised Iraqi sympathizer, aligning himself with Saddam Hussein in an attempt to push the buttons, the patriotic buttons, of every American fan watching. The goal was to have Hogan defend the honor of America by taking down the sadist known as Sergeant Slaughter and restore America's dignity. Slaughter defeated Warrior for the championship at the Royal Rumble, and the idea of Hogan Slaughter headlining WrestleMania 7 did little for ticket sales. By mid-February, only 20,000 seats had been sold. Hindsight is indeed 2020. Now, the story that's been told, especially on the WrestleMania documentary, the story behind WrestleMania, they mentioned that the event was moved into the L.A. Sports Arena rather than the Coliseum due to the threats, the alleged terrorist threats against Sergeant Slaughter. Granted, there were threats made to Slaughter and his home and his family due to overwhelmingly interested Mark fans, but I don't think that was the sole reason, and most would say that was not the reason at all for the event to be moved to a different venue, the much smaller venue. It was due to low ticket sales and interest, but the story WWE goes with, of course, was that it was due to these threats and the heated rivalry between Hogan and Slaughter. Now let's go to the event taking place in the L.A. Sports Arena, March 24th, 1991. After winning the championship in January of that year, Slaughter stepped up his ludicrous facade of Haiti America. Slaughter won the title four days after Iraq was to have pulled out of Kuwait, a deadline set by then U.S. President George H.W. Bush, so patriotic that the pro-American fever was running at an all-time high. Patriotic fervor was running even higher with the very real possibility of young Americans, not to mention soldiers from other nations, but merely giving an American perspective going off to war in order to liberate Kuwait. It was astonishing that the WBF was cashing in by wanting to have Slaughter burn the American flag, which he refused to do, of course, but settle instead for having him set fire to Hulk Hogan merchandise. Exclusively, his Hulk Rules t-shirt was burned by Slaughter. The bill continued with Hogan spouting American catchphrases and clutching to Americana like heroes of folklore, while Slaughter threatened to take the championship back to Baghdad in order to present it to his hero, Saddam Hussein. The WBF made the decision to move the event indoors to the much smaller LA Sports Arena with the official reason involving security concerns. Slaughter was allegedly the target of several death threats over his character, although the horror ticket sales, like I mentioned, were surely a big reason as well. 
while the Ultimate Warrior would not be main eventing, he was given quite the interesting matchup to work with. Our match of the week. Macho King Randy Savage had cost the Warrior the championship at the Royal Rumble. After Warrior refused to grant Savage a shot, and now the two were pitted head to head. But the match wouldn't just be any old encounter. Instead, it would be a career-ending match in which the loser would have to retire. The WF was no longer big enough for both of their explosive personalities. And the build made up for the lack of intrigue from the Hogan Slaughter Contest. Also on the card, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase would tangle with his ex-bodyguard over three years, Virgil. Virgil, after months of increased humiliation at his boss's hands, turned on him at the Royal Rumble. Rowdy Roddy Piper, proud of Virgil for his showing of pride, offered to trade him in an attempt to defeat DiBiase and embarrass the snobby villain. The big boss man had a chance as well to compete in a gauntlet and win a championship. After several months of verbal abuse from Bobby the Brain Heenan, who frequently insulted his mother, Bossman began to run through Heenan's family of wrestlers. This was before getting to the crown jewel, the WWF Intercontinental Championship, which was held by Mr. Perfect. A win would give Bossman personal satisfaction and championship gold while shutting Heenan up for good. Also on the line, the WWF World Tag Team Championship, the Hart Foundation would defend against the Nasty Boys, who won the right to challenge weeks before by winning a 17 battle royal. The Hearts wouldn't go down without a fight, though, but a loss might do wonders for one member of the team. In addition to all of this, a certain superstar made his WrestleMania debut at this event. Let's just say it was number one in his long streak. Do not say that the dead person is only sleeping. Do not say that the deceased is not really dead. Do not attempt to soften or explain away the reality of death. Death is final. Jimmy Snooker at WrestleMania, The Undertaker will make it final for you. Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan called the action, with guest commentators filling in for when Heenan had to manage. Willie Nelson sang the Star Spangled Banner, and celebrities Regis Philman, Alex Trebek, and Marla Maples were on hand as well. Let's go to the event. Would it be a success? Would it be better than what most predicted? Would Slaughter Hogan defy the odds of having a, a four or five star main event match? Let's find out. The Rockers defeated Haku and the Barbarian in 10 minutes and 41 seconds. An underrated opener and a good showcase of how Shawn Michaels could elevate wrestlers to a level above their usual performances. It's no surprise that the Rockers would split up within the year and the Heartbreak Kid would be born. The Texas Tornado defeated Dino Bravo in 3 minutes 11 seconds. This was most depressing, or some would say the most depressing moment in WrestleMania history before the ending to WrestleMania 20, as with both men, of course, passing. Bad match, but both men passing within two years? Definitely a sad thought, 
watching these two men compete in hindsight. The British Bulldog defeated the Warlord in 8 minutes and 15 seconds. This was actually a major feud in 1991, even if the crowd wasn't buying the Warlord. At least for the Bulldog, he proved valuable as a draw on European tours. Then for the WF World Tag Team Championship, the Nasty Boys defeated the Hart Foundation in a little over 12 minutes to win the titles. This would be an important match for the career of one of the Hart Foundation, Bret the Hitman Hart, as shortly after this would springboard his singles career into his first championship or WWF championship victory down the line, defeating Ric Flair. But from this match, he would move on to the intercontinental title picture into a classic and historic feud with Mr. Perfect. Then there was the blindfold match. This could be an honorable mention as a match of the week just for the sheer fact of originality and and psychology and the entertaining aspects of Jake the Snake Roberts as well as his opponent Rick the Model Martel. Rick, Jake Roberts defeated Martel in a little over eight minutes, eight and a half minutes, almost to be exact, 8.34, with both men wearing hoods on so they couldn't see each other. And the match was as slow as you'd expect, but still, it was less awkward than watching some other superstars wrestle with less experience. The image of both superstars feeling each other out, they, cla- they use classic maneuvers as involving the crowd in the match which made it more of a participation event rather than watching a technical classic. But Jake Roberts using psychology, it was innovative the very first and only blindfold match in WrestleMania history. Heyman's hood? Oh, might as well be because you see the final outcome for you, Rick Martell. Ladies in L.A., March 24th, WrestleMania 7. You get a chance to walk down that dark alley like I did for so long because of what you've done. But Rick Martell, I want you to know this. Going in, expect nothing from me but the worst. Because that's what you gave me. In return, what will I give you? Everything I've ever wanted. Every night that I laid a bank and thought about you, all the things that I thought, I can execute those. Why? Because I can get around them, man. I'll have help from my friends. Pointing me in the right direction. Cheating? No. Improvise. It's a key one. Be a part of the most star-spangled WrestleMania ever. It's WrestleMania 7, Sunday, March 24th, available on pay-per-view. Call your local cable company for availability. Then we saw the WrestleMania debut of The Undertaker as he defeated opponent number one in his long streak of 21-1. The Undertaker defeated Jimmy Superfly Snuka in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. That makes Rob Van Dam happy, right? But that is number one in his long list of 
the streak. Who would have ever thought, watching WrestleMania 7, that an unprecedented streak and icon would be born during this specific event. Then, there was our match of the week, the career-ending match. The Ultimate Warrior taking on Macho King Randy Savage. And when the end pitted the Warrior defeating the Macho King, ending his in-ring career. This was 20 minutes and 48 seconds. This was an Iron Man match for Ultimate Warrior matches. This, I believe by far, is Warrior's best match ever. Dramatic throughout. And the post-match segment of Miss Elizabeth saving Savage from an irate Queen Sherry beating him up and then uh, then reuniting with her lost love is one of the greatest WrestleMania moments ever. I'm sure they'll talk about it during the WWE Hall of Fame as well as we'll speak about it during our Macho Man Randy Savage portion of this year's HOF special. And don't worry, you're allowed to cry if you want to. It's okay. This moment was classic.
Then there was the awkward match of Tenru and Kitao defeating Demolition in 4 minutes 44 seconds. It was really the death of Demolition at this, at this point. A sad and misappropriated match didn't make sense to be on this card. For the WF Intercontinental Championship, the big boss man defeating Mr. Perfect by disqualification in almost 11 minutes. This was the last WWF appearance of the late great Andre the Giant who came to the aid of the boss man and the last time that Bobby Heaton would be a manager on a WWF pay-per-view. But what was most notable is Mr. Perfect would go on with the Intercontinental title to go on, like I mentioned previously, to a classic and historic feud with the now single competitor Brett the Hitman Hart. Then, in just over three minutes, Earthquake defeated Greg, the Hammer Valentine, and the Legion of Doom would defeat Power and Glory in under one minute, 59 seconds to be exact. Paul Roma, WrestleMania icon? I doubt it. The LOD, showing their power over Power and Glory. Then, Virgil defeated Ted DiBiase by countout and, in unprecedented fashion, became a victor over his former boss in 7 minutes and 41 seconds. The highlight of the match was Roddy Piper selling the pain of a post-match beatdown by DiBiase and, in a rage, throwing a crotch into referee Danny Davids' crotch. Well, I guess that's what he gets for screwing the British Bulldogs, right? Then, the Mountie defeated Tito Santana in just 1 minute and 21 seconds. Another awkward match on the card. My name is Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter, turncoat. We're played by new rules. My rules. These are the rules he's talking about playing by. Oh, no. Sergeant Slaughter, Nelly Hogan with a chair. And again, Sergeant Slaughter doesn't care right now. He spit on him. 
spitting on Hogan. He's spitting on us all. That's what he's doing. Who will be meeting Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania? Hulk Hogan! At WrestleMania 7, me and Sergeant Slaughter are going to war, brother. To hell with all glory. We're coming after you in WrestleMania 7, brother. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it, man. Remember Hulk Hogan, I am the World Wrestling Federation Champion, and you must defeat me to become the new champion. And that, all mortal slime, is in order. It's mayhem here in the city of angels. I've never heard an ovation like this for anything in my life. Hulkster wants that title, and Slaughter wants to hold on to it. A steel chair in the hands of Slaughter. And look at that turncoat begging for mercy. Shot after shot into the cranium uh, of Sergeant Slaughter, who looks like he's out on his feet. I've never seen Hogan take it to any opponent like he's doing right now. Tremendous offensive move by Slaughter. Snap, crackle, and pop. There go those vertebrae. The main event for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, Hulk Hogan taking on Sergeant Slaughter as the Hulkster would defeat Slaughter to win the WWF Championship. Despite the uninspiring firing storyline, the need to break the an Iraqi flag during the match, Hogan blading on camera the fact that Slaughter was in the main event and Regis Philman being on commentary. It wasn't actually a bad match, really, because you had the crowd made it interesting. It was Hulk Hogan showing his charisma, and they guess kind of made it work. Uh, no one will ever forget the build-up to the match with Sergeant Slaughter throwing that flash paper, that fireball, into Hulk Hogan's eye, thinking he's blinded, and coming back with the Hulk Hogan American flag t-shirt, red, white, and blue and all, Mr. Patriot, winning back the WWF Championship, ending WrestleMania 7. When we return, we look back at WrestleMania 7's place in history. Stay with us. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Before he was known the world over as Dean Ambrose, he was John Moxley in the Combat Zone. Join rfvideo.com and Combat Zone Wrestling as we present the very best of John Moxley, Volume 2. Relive all the ultra-violent action, the technical action, the Combat Zone Wrestling Championship title defenses of John Moxley. For this exclusive DVD, please visit rfvideo.com. Com. Combat Zone Wrestling, it's like nothing else. If you trained, say your prayers, and ate your vitamins, then you'll love the Hulkamania Chronicles. Sean Beckerman, host of Beyond the Bell, your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, breaks down the history and career of the legendary Hall of Famer, the immortal Hulk Hogan. Each edition covers a different era in the history of the Hulkster 
as we relive our childhood hero. From the beginning of Hulkamania, in the mid-80s, and the birth of WrestleMania, through the challenging times of the steroid trial, all the way to his jump to WCW and the formation of Hollywood Hogan and the New World Order, and then his return to the WWF leading in to the Hall of Fame. This edition covers it all. You can catch the Hulkamania Chronicles exclusively on Beyond the Bell here on the SNS Radio Network, brother. Yo, this is Rowdy Roddy Piper on the SNS Network. Baby, you should listen to it just to hear what I got to say. For the first time in the annals of WrestleMania, a match in the middle of the show completely overshadowed the main event. Sure, WrestleMania 3 had Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage delivering a classic, but at least Hogan and Andre created an immortal moment. Other than Hogan's on-camera forehead butchering, not many fans recall this main event with great detail. WrestleMania 7 was not a bad show by any means. Rather, it's a show with a number of great matches, but leaves a rather sour taste in your mouth with the exploitation of the Gulf War. The conflict in the Gulf was largely settled by the time the show took place, and Hussein's army was simply no match for the opposition, and to have Slaughter go on to television and declare such a controversial regime to be so great only served to make him look foolish, and it didn't make for an exciting attraction for wrestling's biggest annual show. Slaughter being aligned with General Adnan, Sheik Adnan El Casey, and Colonel Mustafa, a.k.a. the Iron Sheik, his, the Triangle of Terror, which will go on to another feud leading into SummerSlam, we can get into and we've gotten into previously um, beyond the bell. But it didn't make for a historic WrestleMania, but I guess one fitting for the times. WrestleMania 7 will be remembered just as much for the tearful reunion that took place in the middle of the card as it will be for the vile-inducing exploitation of current-day politics that the main event was supposed to bring out. WrestleMania and the WWF would see brighter times in the years to come. Quite possibly, WrestleMania needed a little flair to bring back some interest. Well, fans, that wraps up this special edition once again looking back at our wrestlemania retrospective series our second part of the california wrestlemania is in the books another los angeles event took place we started off with wrestlemania 2 and now we recapped wrestlemania 7 we're not done with our retrospectives folks more to come this month on beyond the bell let's take it home with some old school music the number one Billboard chart hit in 1991 was one of my favorites, Brian Adams. Everything I do, I do it for you. Yes, it's unusual for Beyond the Bell to go home with some pop culture music, but yes, it'll be fitting for the time as 1991 was Brian Adams' year for the number one Billboard hit. I do it for you as we'll take it home on Beyond the Bell. So until our next edition when we cover... WrestleMania month on Beyond the Bell. We get Jack get pumped on the road to WrestleMania 
for WrestleMania 31. This is your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Until next time, stay old school, my friends.
Dude.